This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Here we are. Uh, it is day two at the CST conference. Uh, I'm going to be, again, looking forward to seeing David Olasuga later on um, talking uh, about diversifying the curriculum. I think he's the final keynote of the day. You've got Ray, Dame Rachel de Souza. Uh, this morning as well so I'll probably be checking into those sessions um, as well again as chatting to uh, lots and lots of school leaders today um, at stand 39 which is the Welby stand uh, so if uh, you are interested in staff well-being then I really really suggest that you check out Welby at wellby.co.uk um, see what they've got to offer. Essentially, Wellbe, it's like a staff anal- analytics tool. Uh, it helps school leaders and people within schools to find out a little bit more about their staff in terms of the way they're feeling, what they're thinking, what they need. Uh, I say it helps them find out a little bit. It actually helps them find out a lot. <laughs> so I probably underestimated it a little bit there. You get action plans, you get next steps. Um, you get lots and lots of different reports that you can look at. Um, so that's uh, that's stand 39 at CST, and also you can visit them at Welby. That's W-E-L-B-E-E dot co dot UK. Uh, so anyway, I'll be off now, round the blocks, and I will, uh, yeah, I might do a few more of these updates as I go along. I've um, harangued Dame Alison Peacock on the way into the venue. Uh, there's no one else around she she's been dragged here to talk to me um and i thought i'd record this rather than ask her and then ask her to record it again so how was your day yesterday alison yeah it was very interesting it was lovely to meet lots of people and to i was keen to talk about children so children weren't really the focus of the day but it was great you know, there were loads of people that I met who were really keen to talk about children and the difference that what um, they're doing is going to make to children's lives. And the session I enjoyed the most was when I went into Bex Boomer-Clark's sex session where she was talking about, it was kind of badged as how do you grow your academy chain. But actually what was, if she was refreshingly honest and talked about the need to really audit and evaluate where you are in order that you can decide what you want to do next and how you need to develop a strategic plan but also how she really wants to share that across the system how she wants to be really open and transparent and um, enable others to learn lessons from what she's doing and I just thought that was so refreshing and exciting and a really energising session so that was my favourite session I think yeah um did you when when you mentioned that 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 you wanted to talk about children yeah surely all the sessions here are about children because they're all academy leaders I mean how would you describe that I think um, I think obviously because because it's it's CST it's about trust it's about yeah you know it's about governance Governance, it's about all of those kinds of things and of course i know that they're really important but they don't that doesn't really float my boat (laughs) the things that really interest me and excite me are how do we find a way through for every child how do we overcome challenges in relation to all areas of supporting children whether they're in areas of deprivation or not you know those those issues are very very real and 
you know, Leora tried to explore that with the Secretary of State yesterday, but he wasn't really in a place to talk about what this government was going to do about poverty. And of course, poverty is huge in terms of the impact it has on schools, because if you've got, if you've got an intake of children who are arriving hungry, they can't learn. It's quite, it's quite obvious they can't learn. And we had a teacher on the panel at the end of the morning and she was talking about anybody who's ever tried to teach a hungry teenager in the afternoon knows exactly just how challenging that is. So those issues are the kinds of issues that I suppose I'm really, I, I think are really important. So, Do you think there's, uh, I, I mean, I was going to ask you really what, what you think that, that leads on to my other question, which was, what do you think the key challenges at the moment are? I'm guessing one of them maybe yeah. is, is is the financial situation, you know, cost of living. But but I also wondered whether there was also that element because one thing that I was going to ask you about was the idea of parental accountability and student responsibility, and whether you feel that those things are neglected in the conversations, or whether you think that they should be second to teacher accountability so, and school accountability and yeah, so on and so forth I think um, it's interesting once you start to sort of delve into the, the implications of the white paper just how much control government is seeking to have so control in terms of admissions, attendance, curriculum timings of the school day ways in which parents can interact with schools, what students need to do so I mean I think this this the this government is really seeking to take back control. I think the, the reforms that were introduced by Michael Gove weren't completed and have led to, as we all know, a very sort of fragmented system. But the government's response, on the surface, it looks like, well, it said just everybody just join an academy chain and we'll all be friends. But it's far deeper than that. It's far more about being able to pull levers from the centre and be able to control what's going on. So I think there's a sort of a, a kind of a quest for control, whether it's about parents having the opportunity to take their child out of school or whether it's about anything to do with school life, actually. You know, academies have been used to thinking that to become an academy is to gain freedom. All of that rhetoric is shifting dramatically. So, you know, there's freedom to sort of join with the schools you want to join with but other freedoms around decisions that you can take about anything that you choose to do actually I think are really likely to be severely curtailed so then you've got to look at what the, what's the benefit and is it just about collecting scalps or is it is it about trying to do something and I hope it is trying to do something genuinely collaborative where at scale you've got colleagues who can work together across networks subject networks all this kind of thing that's really beneficial but if the government tries to control it too much, you know, do they lose more than they gain? And I suspect they do. Yeah. What are you looking forward to from today, day two? Is there anything you're going to go to? Is there anything you're looking I'm forward looking to seeing? I'm looking forward see? to the session about the National Institute of Teaching. And I'd really like to see um, how the Charter College fits with that, how we can support um, individual teachers uh, as we, as we been, do at the moment. There's been some criticism online of this idea of the National Institute of Teachers. I think I saw a few tweets yesterday saying it's more jobs for the boys or something someone had tweeted. Um, 
Is that is that? I mean, do you think that new bodies? I mean, I'm asking here the founder of the Charter College of Teaching <laughs> this question, which is a bit silly of me. But anyway, um, do you think that 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 there is kind of any limit to the new bodies that can be kind of set up to help the profession? Do you think there should be a limit, or do you think we just well, carry on? No, I don't. Think, I don't think there should be. I don't think there should be a limit. But I, I think um, that was a great question, wasn't it? Yeah. From me. <laughs> yeah. But I do think that. Um, I think teachers uh, are a little bit more bullshit than this government has given them credit for. So I think, you know, they will, they'll attend courses, whether they're free or not. They'll take from them what makes sense to them and what makes a difference in their classrooms, you know, because the job of being a teacher is very difficult. So you need to be able to combine, you know, intuition, instinct with professional knowledge and, and building that sort of, that sense of phrenesis, you know, that you bring the two things together that's what makes the professional. So if there are opportunities by the National Institute of Teaching to, to coordinate all some of those programmes, fantastic. But what's the difference between that and like Charter College? Well, the Charter College, I'm glad you asked me, <laughs> College is about individual members really defining and building and enhancing their professionalism. It's about individual teachers being able to explore research, to discuss, to collaborate, to write journals. You know, it's... It's about that sense of me on a path that is not determined by somebody else. So the golden thread is there and I may dip in and out of that. But actually, as a teacher, I want to really explore the things that matter to me. And the Charter College gives you an opportunity to do that. And then over and above MPQs, the accreditation through chartered status is much more about how do you develop your criticality? How do you really look at what's available and decide what works for me, what works in my context? And how do I use robust methodology to explore things that I'm reading about because we've all heard of the sort of you know the edgy sort of crazes that go on I mean the latest craze if you like is retrieval practice people hear the word think oh is that that just about quizzing never delve any deeper maybe Um, so it's really about giving that professional knowledge beyond just attending a course Perfect. Well, I hope you enjoy the day. Thanks Thank for stopping thanks for and not. Me. Thanks for not <laughs> running away from me the moment you saw a microphone and me stood with it. It's lovely so, to talk to you, Tom. As always. Cheers, Alison. Okay. Thanks a lot. Bye. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Right, I'm with uh, Alex from John Cat Publishing who's here today at uh, the CST conference 2022 in Birmingham. Alex, how are you? Are you having a good day so far? Yes, yeah, it's going well. Uh, trust leaders are um, you know, showing a lot of interest in the books. Um, yeah, it's a nice and busy stand. Yeah, it looks it. It looks it. You've got a lot of books here. I was wondering, because some burning questions I've had about books. Well... Obviously, you can pass on some of these, but what are what what areas or what books tend to be doing extremely well at the moment? Yeah, I mean, lots of our books are um, they fit into the sort of teaching and learning uh, style <laughs> category. So we've got lots of books um, 
that are focusing on research, research and the evidence base. That's obviously a big trend, has been for two or three years. Um, so things like the inaction series where uh, teachers sort of take research papers and evidence, um, evidence work from the last 10, 20 years really and sort of um, bring it into the, into the modern classroom. So that series is, is very popular. We're, we're adding titles to it all the time. Um, yeah, anything really that's, that's helping the teachers in the classroom you know, they read a book, they read a chapter, and then the next day they think, yeah, I'm going to try something, um, I'm going to put that into place. And um, accessible stuff, you know, not academic, nothing too deep and heavy, stuff that teachers can get their teeth into, and then the next day they can put into place. If you were to choose a book title off the top of your head that no one's published yet, that you would love if someone wrote, what would that book title be if you had one title? top of your head or one thing that's, that's a tough question good so. question it that is a, isn't it yeah put good me on the spot um, well I mean there's lots of, <laughs> there's lots ah. of really great titles there's a book coming out at the moment not published by us actually published um, by someone else called uh, Teach Like a Queen I think which I don't know who's publishing that um, wow but okay. yeah you know anything that's um, there's lots of riffs on uh Doug Lemov's uh, Teach Like a Champion at the moment. So, yeah, as I say, anything that uh, that really appeals to the, the sort of everyday classroom teacher at the chalk face every day and can just uh, help them do their job a little bit better. That's, that's what our books really aim to do. And anything that, you know, snappy title that appeals to that, um, that demographic, then that's going to work. What do you think the biggest challenge for a writer is of an educational book? What are the things they need to be aware of when they're writing it that publish, that someone like you would say, oh, this is good? Yeah, I mean, there's, um, I think the tendency is for authors to, uh, to try and write to too broad an audience sometimes. So they try and cover, you know, in an, in an attempt to sort of uh, get a nice broad customer base, they maybe uh, try and cover too big a... A topic when I think what we're seeing now, the trend uh, certainly in our publishing is is finding a little niche um, and focusing on that. Whether it's you know just looking at some of our books here about you know the, the pupil premium or um, you know behaviour in a in a primary school, really finding something that's not too broad. It's you know it's it's narrowed the market down, but it's going to appeal to that market a lot. Uh, better than a than a broad title would. That's interesting. That's it. So you think like you know, kind of uh, more generalised teaching books. I mean, do you not think there's still any traction in yeah, them? I mean, yeah. obviously, is there is there a is there a limit? I mean, this was I suppose one of my other questions is: is there a saturation point? But you know, I've seen people tweeting. <laughs> yeah. How can we have yeah, How can yeah. we have more books about teaching when everything that's about teaching's already been said? You yeah. know, that kind of narrative. Yeah, understood, and it's it's a fair point. And you know, we um, we're publishing sort of 50, 60 books a year at the moment, and you know, I can I can see that arguments and see why people make it that um you know that there's just too many books but you know the what what i said earlier about finding that niche teaching is a is a fairly complicated and um you know it's it's not a simple job there's lots of there's lots of aspects to it that um that need exploring and um 
there is a place for the general teaching book when it's done really, really well by someone who absolutely knows what they're talking about and is a, and is a brilliant writer, basically. It's very difficult to write a really broad teaching book and maintain a reader's sort of interest across three or 400 pages. But done really well, absolutely something like Teaching Walkthrough series, which is very broad, covers a lot of areas, but um, Tom and Oliver, yeah. you know, have done really well with it. But yeah, I mean, if there is a saturation point, um, I don't think we've reached yeah. it yet. No. And teaching moves on, you know, there are, um, you know, different aspects of te- teaching develop over the years and, and what is relevant five years ago <clears throat> excuse me isn't relevant now so no i think we'll keep we'll keep on going until someone tells us that we have to stop <laughs> right alex thanks very much for the chat no, mate thanks, and uh, good luck cheers okay i'm joined by lily from uh, sally park girls school and two people who've also ran away um who are the actual the head teacher and assistant deputy head teacher from the school um but thank you lily right what have you thought of cst conference so far um i thought it was absolutely brilliant um i've really enjoyed Ra- rachel uh D'Souza's session yeah. um from Ofqual, and just looking at sort of the post-pandemic um atmosphere and grading of, of of exams as a governor it's really important to understand how that's done um and i'm looking forward to um viewing some of the podcasts they've had as well as um assessing the post-pandemic grading yeah and what do you think like as from a governor's perspective what are the kind of things you're taking away from what are you trying to take away from here uh, from what, the whole conference yeah. as a whole um i think it's really um the impact of trusts on children and i think there's been a lot of um, talk on actually how the impact goes back to the children. So seeing the focus of such big organisations and how they directly impact individual children is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I've taken. Everything that we do at the end of the day, being from a girls' school, must impact the girls. And we are looking to, well, currently, a maintained school. Yeah. Um, looking to convert to a mat at some point. And seeing that a large organisation can still have that impact on individuals and not lose that connectivity has been one of the greatest things about the conference. Brilliant. And what's your day job? So my day job, yeah, so I actually work in um, finance, um, oh. on the governance side of finance. Yeah. Um, and we obviously look at numbers. Numbers are our uh, sort of stakes at the end of the day. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Um, in education, having children as the stakes is a much, much bigger deal, a much more positive impact. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I think it is really, truly civic to go with the theme of the conference. Lovely. Lily, thanks very much for your time. Thank you, it's been a pleasure. Oh, and here we are. We've got Lisa. We've got Lisa as well. Lisa, I was going to... No, I'm not How do you follow that? Lily, did you share that you had a meeting and lunch with Amanda Spielman yesterday? Okay, uh, I think one of the sessions has just finished and I'm joined by Andy Barnett, who's Executive Principal of Delta Academies Trust. Andy. Um, how have you found the session so far? What have you liked? Uh, I thought our last one were, were absolutely uh, inspirational, actually. I, I loved the uh, animated video that they showed the athletes on the way to uh, Tokyo. It could uh, real kind of uh, her standing up on, on the back of your neck um, watching that, so really good, that one. Andy, I don't want to be presumptuous, but you, you're a very imposing figure, um, and I wondered whether sometimes you get mistaken for a member of the SAS or... Is that not something that anyone's ever said to no, you? No, no one's ever said that before. No, but do you, does it help being six foot seven when it comes to discipline no, or not in no, school? I don't think so, no. I think, uh, I think equally being uh, 
six foot two actually, um, or being uh, small and diminutive, uh, someone can strike you a look, and uh, uh, you know I don't think that matters actually. No. Perfect. Right here comes the fun questions. Are you ready? Um, what I say fun? They're not that fun. What's the first thing that you grab in the morning? Um, coffee. Um, biggest weakness or fatal flaw? Um, it's like an interview question. Yeah, that, isn't it? love um, it. Can't think. <laughs> there must be something. Yeah, um, sure there is. Biggest strength. Yeah, you better ask me why, probably. Biggest strength. Um, team player. What's the biggest challenge that you've got at the moment when it comes to staff well-being? Um, I mean, to be honest, I think we're a lot of the initiatives we have are, are, are pretty good. Um, yeah. But you know, it's uh, it's no doubt we've come out of a, a very tough period, um, and it's, it's being a, being aware of kind of the challenges that, that some people have faced. Yeah. And what, you know, if, if you were to, to change something about the education system right now and you had a magic wand, what would it be? Um, I think that's a, that's a good question, actually. It's good, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Thank you. I think at the moment, um, you know, we've kind of got a put our best jacket on and uh, try and get back to normal really you know and, uh, and speak to the speak to the children and all that so I think it was quite good in the last se session actually talking about September being a fresh start yeah going, right September the first right come on now let's, let's do you let's think there's been a do you think there's been a decline in behavior standards over the last two years um, I think you know a lot of communities we work in disadvantaged communities um, when Often when they're away from us for a long period of time, there can be it can be those declines. So, you know, clearly uh, the, the pandemic has has, uh, has facilitated some that. Dame Rachel De Souza mentioned there was a 50% increase in school absence rates. Is that something that's reflected? Is that something you've seen? Um, in, she's saying that only 20% of those are accounted for COVID-related absences for the children. So the remaining 30% in increase is just children staying away from school yeah i think the the, the clearly post pandemic has been a challenge of getting all children back in school but you know, it's quite encouraging that you know she and the rest the rest of the sector committed to getting everyone getting everyone back in brilliant james thanks so much for your time andrew. i'm sorry andrew <laughs> andrew thanks so much for your time the executive principal i've see you hid your badge so that's <laughs> that's why that happened um so thank you very much indeed for your time. Four minutes. You're never going to get that back. No, no. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect.
The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. Right, Jim, uh, we joined... Right, Jim, but I can't start an interview with Right, Jim. Um, I'm joined by Jim Nicholson, who's the CEO and head teacher of Mellor Primary School. Jim, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you very much. What have been your highlights from today at oh. CST Day 2 so far? Day 2 has got to be, we've just listened to Owen Eastwood, um, the coach, and he was absolutely outstanding. I think when you, when you come to an event like this, you always look for, for somebody who adds something to you personally. I'll walk away from this conference feeling enriched by what I've just experienced. Wow. Yeah, That's I know. high praise indeed. Oh, it was just... It just... It sounds really trite, but actually touched your soul. Um, and that's something I, I will actually go away and think about how can I generate the same empathy and sense of belonging with my own team going forward. What was it? What was he talking about specifically? I mean, what were the kind of things that made you go, wow? Um, the sense of belonging and how we generate a sense of belonging. What are the key principles that we need to, to, to consider? And actually what it is to be human. You know, that, that whole lesson about what do human beings need to flourish? Yeah. And a sense of belonging is something actually our trusts do, our schools do it. Yes. And the next important step is to really have a sense of belonging through our trusts. And what are you looking forward to? Are you staying for the David Olusuga keynote later? Are you, or are you leaving and going to the pub? Uh, no, I'm actually looking forward to the workshops, to be honest with you. Are you? And where yeah. are you going? What workshops are you doing? Well, I'm really interested in how we sort of build capacity and how we look at the journey of building a trust and how growth looks and such like. So it's those sort of elements I've been particularly interested in. How many schools do you have in Just your... two. Just two at the moment. Yeah. We actually will be the Honeycomb Education Trust. Uh, which for Stockport, as a geographical area, is a real um, significant development. Well, really I live exciting. in Manchester. Okay. I, I've just moved there, actually, from another great city, Liverpool. Um, so, yeah, so I, I will see you in Stockport um, soon. I'll give you a call any time. There you go. Happy to talk about the future, you know. That, there you go. Now, that, talking of the future, what do you think is the biggest challenge you have at the moment in your role? Oh, my goodness. So many things to actually to achieve and needing more personnel to do. I could do with three or four of me, really, you know, um, to be able to actually begin to build. You can't promote that from within? No, I, I think um, any trust leader, any, any school leader will tell you that actually financially we have restrictions which limit our ability and our, our capacity for development. development. Um, What's your biggest layout at the moment financially? Is it supply? No, it's st staffing cost per se. I mean, they always cost per se. Yeah, you know. yeah, but is it is it more? Is what I'm saying. You know, are you finding that that's your big challenge, biggest challenge is staffing, or or not in terms of getting staff? I mean, well, do you know, bizarrely, I mean, I know that's been an issue across the sector, but within our own organisation, we seem to have applicants that come forward because they're attracted by the nature of the organisation that we have, I think. So um, we haven't struggled in many respects, but I do know that outside the teaching profession itself, where we have things like site supervisors, that seems to be an area that's becoming more difficult to fill. Yeah, so that would you call that a, a lower skill, so a more manual role or a... No. What would you call that? No, it's an essential part of any school team. No, I know that, but it's... it's... 
I know that. But is it is it is it are we talking about a site manager as in a supervisor for the school for administrative no, supervisor? Actually, the, the functional actions or the of, actual yeah. actions of caretaking a school. Yeah. So the old role of what would what would have been known as a caretaker. Yeah, yeah. Right. And and I, and I think that's to do I, I can't define why that is. But the opportunities that people had with inside schools might not fit the profile of work now. I'll give an example. So teaching assistants, for example, um, have normally fitted in with their own family situation. So it's great to work as a teaching assistant because if you've got a young family, you've got time out of school to be with your children and so on. But actually, the way that life's work structures are now blended ways of actually work, you know, that's affecting that idea of, well, I don't need to actually be in a, a term time only job because I can work more flexibly. So I think that's having an impact upon the sector. I haven't got any hard data on that, but just certainly from conversations. Do you think that, is there anything you do within your schools to promote flexible working? Is there any, you know, do you, do you have any ideas on that in terms of, okay, you know, this person wants to work three days, four days, you know, or they want to work flexibly in some way. I mean, how yeah. do you view that? Is that troublesome or is that something that you yeah, like? Yeah, when it comes to flexible work, I mean, obviously, flexible working with inside a school day is really difficult you, it, because we've got, you know, young people on the premises that need to have adults working alongside them. But regarding the number of days that people work, and it's interesting, I've just had this conversation, actually, with um, a CEO from another, another trust. Yeah. And we both came to the, to the idea, or the, the conclusion that it's important to keep good people in the organisation. And yeah. so actually we've got to be as flexible to approach flexible, you know, um, a way of working. Flexible working, yeah. yeah. And because if we don't, one, we'll lose good people, but actually in doing so, it might create other opportunities anyway. You know, so if somebody wants to reduce their hours, for example, uh, it might give us a little bit of revenue to play with to, to do another aspect of school trust development or give somebody else another opportunity. Or indeed, it might give an opportunity for somebody else to come and work in the organisation. Yeah. I mean, it's a challenge, though, isn't it, I suppose, from, it a, a, from a logistical, structural point of view, to, to, to be able to work that out. It's capacity, actually, of anybody who, who runs an organisation or is a key part to play yeah. to be able to work around those things. Because, I mean, clearly, if you've got, you know, instead of having four teaching staff, for example, and that goes to eight teaching staff because of flexible working, you've yeah. got twice as many performance management appraisals to do and you've got relationships across eight people instead of four so it's not just about the financial aspects it's about actually the, the, the organization management again you know yeah and what about well-being you know it's a word we hear a lot about um do you how do you value it and how do you show you value it in your organization because you said it was an attractive organization to teachers so yeah. what what is it about it that... i think you know, in old school, we, we've known of um, organisations that have been very prescriptive about having planning, for example, and just having to work in a particular way at a particular point um, in our own organisation. You know, people have got to organise their own learning time, their own work time. They can make decisions about what they do in the classroom. Do they need to be in the school all the time? They can, you know, head home when they want to. They've got family equipment. Well, if we can actually support people and give them their autonomy to make decisions as long as they're getting the job done it doesn't yeah. matter yeah. Where, they, where they get it done how they do it is up to them yeah. you know and I think we've got to be really um, understanding of that and the other thing is you know in hectic busy schedules of life if somebody has 
a need for a family situation. You know, we've got to yeah. listen and actually really understand their context. Yeah. And, it, and don't make it very, very um, challenging and difficult for them to operate. We've got to be really sympathetic to individuals. Yeah. They feel valued then, don't they? They do. They do. Jim, I'm going to forgive you right. for going on one of our rival radio stations. <laughs> And, you know, I, I bless you for your sins. Um, so okay. thank you for taking the time to talk My to pleasure. me. My pleasure. No problem at all. Cheers. Right, here we are again with um, very enthusiastic interviewees who are delighted to be here with me. Absolutely delighted. Delighted. Um, we've got, um, we've got Cathy. Correct. Who is the interim CEO of something? Yes, the DeFerris Trust. DeFerris Trust. Uh, tell us a little bit about that first off, just we, for a minute. Yeah, we're based in Staffordshire and Derbyshire, and we have seven schools currently, a mixture of both primary and secondary. Lovely. Um, okay, let me ask you first about the conference. So, mm. what have your highlights? Have you been over both days? Yes. So this is yeah. day two for you. What have been yeah. your highlights from yesterday and today? Um, to be fair, it's just holistically having the time to reflect and hearing different speakers and some of it you can go, actually, do you know what? No, not interested in apply. But it's having that time to reflect. Um, and to be fair, having that extra um, layer in terms of the performance, in terms of the poetry and the authors and the music has given a really nice dynamic as well, rather than just being factual download. Um, so, yeah, doing really good. Is, how many of these have you been to? Because this it's is my first, first. Oh, is it? Oh, like me so too. I can't compare to No, 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 previous. you've done no previous. And have you been to any of the workshops or have you kind of... Yeah, I've been to some of the workshops been as well. So that's been really good to be able to pick a variety of different um, nice. sort of settings to go into. Again, just start building some blocks and... Perfect. So what is your biggest challenge at the moment in your professional life? In professional life, recruitment. To be fair, you know, we've hit that May 31st deadline and we've still got some support staff and teaching staff that are still... But we've got five weeks to go to the end of term, so we're always hopeful. Tell me a bit more about the roles that you're trying to fill. Like, what's the, what are the challenges? I mean, if you give me a typical example, I don't know, maths teacher role. Science is proving um, an area for, for one of our schools that we're still wanting to fill. I mean, if, if you imagine, say, one of the roles that's difficult for you to fill... Mm -hmm. What kind of process are you going through to try and fill that role? Yeah, it's interesting. We've got really good links with the universities, so we, you know, we, we reach out to any um, ITT, graduates, yeah. and, and I lecture at local universities as well. So maths and PE we tend to do okay with. Um, we live with Nottingham, so the English and history we do okay. Um, but it is it's, it's raising your profile on social media. It's it's showing holistically what you can bring as an employer. So it's not just about the pay grade because I know people doing golden hellos. We don't do that, but you know some people are doing that to try and entice people through the trying door. Trying to do what, sorry? Golden hello. Oh, right, OK. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, it's trying to promote us as, as a trust as to what we can bring holistically to be a really good employer. Um, and um, Do you think this is the hardest it's ever been? Yeah, it has, and I think because we've, we've had some staff for a variety of reasons. You know, some people come to retirement, some people are getting out of the profession, some people join the profession late and realise actually it's not for them. So there's a whole host of reasons as to why staff have decided to move on. Some of it's in promotion, which is absolutely fantastic for them, isn't it? And so yeah. there's a whole host of reasons as to why I think recruitment is a lot of pressure. It's also it's very your... fulfilling, but it's also there is a lot of pressure. You've got, you've got to be up for that challenge. What's your strategy then to try and recruit? 
Oh, yeah, I mean, who do you use? Do you use recruitment agencies? No, do you we use... don't necessarily use... Uh, we do some supply if we, have to, if we have to resort to supply. We do go down the agency route. Um, we do still use tests. But LinkedIn, to be fair, I've been, I've been pushing more through LinkedIn, through Twitter, yeah. you know, and that sort of yeah. profile to go, yeah. you might not have thought of us, yeah. here we are. And reaching out to friends and family and colleagues going, do you know what, like everybody that's thinking yeah. about... And, then, and that's worked a bit. Yeah, and sometimes yeah. we've got we've always got two for the price of one, so we've recruited for uh, a head of department that we call yeah. directors of learning, yeah. and that happens to have been an internal candidate because the process is fair and open. And then we've had external candidates going, well, that means you're going to have an internal vacancy. Can I, can I join you because I really like what you're doing? I'm like, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... Interesting. So, like, uh, okay, moving on from moving, that's your biggest challenge, recruitment. Um, does it stress you out? Sometimes. Yeah. I, you know, if, if we get, you know, in the next few weeks and we've still got, because sometimes you can't get very high quality supply and sometimes yeah, you get more you creative with your curriculum yeah. and yeah. you can alter timetables. Yeah. Yeah. But as yeah. you get further and further and further towards the end of the year, then yeah. yeah, because when push comes to shove, you want high quality provision in the classroom. Yeah, definitely. Um, so. And what about, what about, um, uh, I mean, just to kind of bring it on to teacher well-being. Yeah. It's obviously quite a big, uh, like a hot issue. Like, what, what do you think you are looking to do? What have you done to support? We've been doing we've been doing quite a bit actually. Uh, I'm really proud of what we've done as a trust. Um, in terms of simple things, when we got um, a secondary has got rebates in the exam budget last year, so we put that into a ring fence wellbeing pot. Yeah. So sometimes we said to the staff committees, you know, there's an X amount of pounds, do with it what you want. Yeah. No alcohol, obviously, but you know, do with it what you want. Um, so we've, we've made sure daft things like get a grab and go free breakfast on a Friday, and yeah. um, we've given gift vouchers out that, you know, can be for clothes or a charity of your choice, or so yeah. sometimes. It has been a case of well-being in terms of the workload that everybody else is doing and making sure yeah. assessments, you know, we're, yeah. we're, we're reducing our um, mock timetable, yeah. so there's only one PPE yeah. a year next year, so there's lots of stuff yeah. that you're doing actually yeah. day to day, yeah. um, but you, being mindful, we're back up and running now, so you've got to deliver as well, so yeah. there is a well-being element of doing the nice stuff being mindful and making people aware we've got a well-being strategy we've done a menopause policy you know we've done all these sort of wider things mm. but also it is we're now back in business what's so the got to make sure that those systems and processes are in so that people can actually get on and teach we have a lot of like teacher listeners so what's the average day of a ceo what do what do you do as a ceo it's the average well, there's, day there's never like... average day yeah um, for me, because I'm only interim at the moment, and, or, or interim, sorry, that came out wrong. I'm, I'm interim. Yeah. So it's a case I've still got my other responsibilities yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah. It's managing, yeah, so it's slightly so it's different for you. managing all those yeah. different hats at the moment. So yeah, this is, this is not a substantive post. This is just uh, holding the fort for the time being. Yeah. Um, but it's good to be able to get into all the schools, the primaries as well as the secondaries. It's great to be able to start connecting with them. You know, I've never had to deal with auditors, for example. You know, not terribly exciting to some people, but you're just learning stuff that you just didn't expect. To. So it's great to keep learning. And then, then um, but yeah, getting into the primaries has been lovely as well as well as the secondaries. Yeah, interesting <laughs> stuff. Well, thanks for speaking to me. You didn't run away like everyone else. No, no. You held the fort. So <laughs> thanks for the chat. You're Good luck with Tom. everything. Cheers. Thank you. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, 
and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. Hello everybody, welcome back to the CST conference. Now joined by Daniel Merce, who's very kindly come and spoken to me, dig me out in this crowd of people to do an interview and stop me haranguing him for stuff in general. Daniel, how are you doing today? Not too bad, not too bad. Have, yeah, you, had, have you had a good day? Yes, I have had a good day. Have you been here for the whole thing? Uh, no, because I've actually got a really bad cold, which I'm trying to hide now. So I've sort of uh, got a bad cold. Yeah, so 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 I've sort of stayed a little bit away, but I felt I've got to present today. So I'm here. Are you are you on the way back to health? Yes. Good man. Good man. <laughs> right. Let me ask you then. Um, what are you? Because you've got a workshop next. Yes, that's right. Give us a little preview then. Okay, so we did a piece of work looking at the existing research evidence on uh, what makes a good quality trust, and we've looked at evidence from England, but also from the US, the Netherlands, and Sweden as well, where they've got comparable, though not the same kind of structures. And what have you found? Well, what we found, firstly, that there's not actually that much evidence out there, and a lot of it's pretty poor in quality, so there's not loads. Uh, what we did find is that there are a number of things which keep coming out, and there are things like the importance of the quality of governance, so the skills, the knowledge of the trustees and governors within the organisation, um, the, the ways that uh, trusts can help improve quality of education through uh, shared professional development, for example, uh, but also through a bit of quality assurance, um, the importance of moral purpose in successful trusts, so it's not about say well for the sake of it it's about what you can do for your kids and also about working with others in uh, your locality other trusts other organizations etc so what when you mention moral purpose what makes a good moral purpose for a trust well i think it's about uh putting the needs of the children and pupils first and looking at that not just as something that you do within your trust, but that you also take into account what is the role of your trust as an actor within the community. And for many trusts, of course, that will be many different communities, but that you um, look at yourself as an actor within that broader education system and what that means. Are trusts a good thing? Are trusts of schools a good thing? I think absolutely yes. I think there's a number of reasons for that. Firstly, I think we do need to have structures that allow schools to work together, to collaborate, and that um, give us a little bit of scale. So I think if you look at this sort of single academy, that's a vulnerable uh, organisation um, in terms of finances, in terms of capacity, in terms of changes that can happen. So I think being part of a trust does give you um, the strength, the capacity and also the, the support from the trust centrally but also from the other schools within the, the trust to improve and thrive. What makes a good trust leader? What makes a good trust leader? Now that's a really interesting question and as a researcher obviously first have to say we don't really have very little research on trust leaders and CEOs. There's hardly anything at all on that. Why is that? Why is that? 
Um, when are you going to do it for us, Daniel? <laughs> I'd very much like to do that. Um, why is that? I think there's kind of been, if you look at the research, it can be a little bit of an obsession with saying, okay, let's see whether uh, trusts or academies in general do better or worse than local authority schools. You can see similar things in America, etc. as well. I think we've kind of lost sight of looking actually at what makes trusts work well. And of course, leadership is going to be a key part of that because we know leadership is a key part of success of any organization, but we really haven't looked at it. What we do know, of course, is that um, in practice, there is sometimes a challenge in stepping up from, say, uh, head teacher role to a trust leadership role, uh, moving beyond um, looking at your school to looking at the broader organization. We know a trust is a complex thing, so I think alongside um, the kind of educational leadership, what's also very important in the trust are the uh, operational roles and making sure that that all works as well. And of course, those should not be the same people necessarily. That's another thing to take into account there. Indeed. What is your biggest educational research bugbear? What is the one where you think this annoys the hell out of me? Hmm, that's a really interesting question. There are so many, Tom. Uh, <laughs> well, hit me with one, that, that recent one, where you thought, this annoys me. This annoys me. Um, what annoys you? What annoys me? Uh, constantly... Don't we... say me, don't say me. <laughs> You're not an educational research thing, so... Ah, you, you got out of that count. one. Good. Uh, <laughs> so, one of the things that really annoys me is just constantly looking at the same thing that we already know isn't really important. Yeah. So we are constantly going back and looking, for example, at what is the impact of the gender of the teacher, for example. Actually, we know that it doesn't really matter that much, so why do we keep looking at that? And there's a whole lot of other things in, in research like that, so let's concentrate on the things that we know actually matter and we have less evidence on and move things forward a little bit. What do you think, in the classroom, teachers are still doing a lot of that they need to stop doing? Okay, I still think there's too much um, trying to get novices to do um, various forms of discovery learning, which is not going to be a very effective way of going about it. I mean, I'm not saying there's not a space for that in education. There is not one thing that we have to do at all times, but you do need to make sure they've got the knowledge and skills to be able to engage in that kind of learning before you do it. Daniel, thanks ever so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Uh, thanks for coming over and no good worries. luck. Good luck with your session. Cheers. Cheers. Hello everyone, still at the CST conference 2022 in Birmingham. I've come and harangued some more school leaders for their time and hopefully ask them some fun questions. Can you introduce yourselves first, gents, just briefly? Feel free to just do first name and role. Yep, Ashley um, from Washington Teeth Water Academy Trust um, and I am the interim primary lead. Uh, my name's David, I'm an executive head teacher in a trust in Tamworth. My name's Simon Russell, I'm a head teacher from a trust in Tamworth. Okay, let me start with a good one. Um, do you like Ofsted? Sorry? Do you, do you like Ofsted? Um, well, uh, not particularly, no, but it has to happen, I suppose, to uh, gauge how well schools are doing. But if I was to ask you, you know, that was a very kind of Joe Biden kind of answer. Um, if I was to ask you what it is that you 
you don't like about them, what are the things you'd like to see change with them? I suppose for me it's that uh, pressure and that anxiety that exists over Ofsted in terms of uh, you know, coming into school, we all accept that things have to be done for the provision of our children, uh, but I just suppose it, it feels like a done-to process, so done with might be something that might help school leaders to support instead of feeling they're under pressure 24-7. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I, I did, and this is a funny story, which I probably should... Well, I will say on this. It'll be on the podcast. But basically, yesterday, I was sat in the cafe area over there, minding my own business, and I was just on my laptop, and somebody sat next to me and started to try and charge their phone. And we started to engage in some lovely lovely bit of small talk, and I said, oh, schoolboy, Harry, should have brought a mobile charger. <laughs> and there was a bit of that. And then he said, oh, are you here for the CST conference? And I said, yeah. And I said, are you? And he said, yeah. I said, what's your job? He was the corporate strategy director for Ofsted. Um, and they love me <laughs> even more than they love you. Um, so that was a really fun conversation after that. It lasted for about 20 minutes. It consisted of me telling them the things that I wanted to see change yeah. in Ofsted. And there was not a lot of agreement, um, which wouldn't surprise you if the strategy director was saying that he didn't like his own organisation. Um, so there you go. Thank you. Um, Can I just add, so I think the biggest thing on that go on. is consistency. So if you've got different offset teams coming into schools, you want to know that whoever is coming into your school to do the uh, inspection, is that there is a, the core purpose, there's a level of consistency about who you get, because there could be a bit of a lottery with that in a minute. Amanda spoke very well yesterday about the vision from the top but that needs to work its way throughout the whole organisation so that we as school leaders are confident that whoever comes through our doors on that morning they're going to deliver a level of consistency that we can expect in any school from any often inspector what do you think if, if David Tom <laughs> going to ask you what is it if you could change one thing at the moment about the education system and you had a magic wand what would it be I think it would be those external, perhaps unintended consequences around the punitive feel for some of the, the, the metrics and the measures. Um, and if it was more of a collaborative system, as, as my colleague yeah. just said, yeah. um, beyond Ofsted, I mean, Ofsted, Ofsted are there for the checks and balances and they shouldn't be collaborative, they should be independent and, and, and as organised as, as Ashley's just mentioned. Uh, but, but, but beyond that, the kind of the league tableness, the progress eight, it's all contextual. Um, the Ofsted grading being changed to meets expected or doesn't meet expected and just having those two, those two kind of um, benchmarks. And then somebody mentioned it yesterday to the second um, MP who is the Shadow Education Minister uh, and they requested that there was some kind of um, cross-party approach yes. to education yeah. policy. And if, if, that, if that changed, I think everything else would follow. So no more political footballing yeah. around education. Yeah. It's not going to change, Tom, because no, no. everybody has an opinion on education and therefore it's a vote winner. Um, but if, if it was depoliticised to a degree, it's a political thing. Learning and Agreed. education is a political thing and it's always going to be, but Agreed. that would be the main thing. Agreed. Ashley, I'm going to ask you just because I doesn't have a name by John, so <laughs> can't ask his questions again. Um, Ashley, what's the one thing that annoys you the most working in schools? Wow. You can't say me because we don't work together anymore. <laughs> the one thing that annoys me working in schools? Yeah. The Do you know what? The, um, the right answer here is there is nothing that annoys me about the job that I do every day. 
Is that, you're not, you're not buying that, are you? No, I'm not. No? I'm not. Okay. So you, there must be some pet peeve. Right, something. okay. Yes, okay. I can Even if it's too small. It's the traffic. It's a nightmare. I spend, Commutes. I spend an hour and a half in my car every day yeah. getting to work. And, you know, we have to because we're not in the luxury of being able to work remotely because we've got to be there for the staff, for the children. Um, but, yeah, so I, you probably don't buy that one either, do you, really? No. Uh, it's what? Like school, is that? No. Yeah, no the no, the no. answer is crap coffee. <laughs> yeah. Poor coffee and not being offered the poor coffee in quick enough time. Are you in control of that? Huh? Not spending taxpayers' money. Oh, coffee. very good, very good. Yeah, <laughs> quite right. What's okay? Final one now, or nearly final one, probably. Um, well-being for teachers. Yeah. Bit of a hot topic, isn't yeah, it? it is. So, um, to kind of move away from the usual things like okay, workload reduction stuff, the marking stuff, everyone's doing that. You know, is there anything new or different that you have thought of doing, or will be doing, or might be doing that you think? significantly changes the landscape for the teachers in your schools or trusts? Look, there's a lot of initiatives that are already in action, like you say, you know, I think all schools are working at the moment to make sure that we're doing the right thing for teachers. I think, for me, one of the biggest things that I want to see happen is a bit of a culture shift from teachers themselves. So, we as leaders can put in all these initiatives to make sure that we look after our staff Less marking, less planning, well-being days, regular meetings, updates, training, yeah. it works. But at some point, staff also have to take ownership of that and take control of their own well-being. Um, and I think that's the bit that needs to just shift slightly. So it's not a thing that is, is led by leaders. It's actually led from within everybody. Um, and I think there is a culture shift that needs to happen a little bit. So it's not something that they feel that they can use. And I, I, I mean this with all utmost respect. They use it as an excuse. Oh, I can't do that because of my well-being. So what can you do that improves your well-being but actually still gets the job done? But can but, but what I guess the, 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 the flip side of that would be, that's creating a culture where teachers feel they can say no and can walk out of the building and give nothing more and say toodaloo and then... Is that okay then if they turn up the following day having just done what you want them to do and taking ownership of it? Yeah, it's a, it's a broader uh, I mean, that's a discussion. Is, yeah, that's very it is. simple. It is. That, it is. You get it the is. point I'm making though. Yeah. If, and, if and teachers I think, take ownership, they need to be able to take ownership. Yeah. And, there's one thing saying yeah, it, there's one right. thing them doing it. But that's the culture shift, isn't it? That needs to, to come about. Yeah. Um, and that's from leaders, that's from teachers, anybody who works in school. Um, and that's a bigger piece of work. But it's something that's doable because we're talking about this more than we've ever done. Definitely. Yeah, and I think COVID has been the impact of that. Two years through COVID, I think yeah. teachers started to see the other side of what was. You know, we put in hours, well, you, you name the amount of hours we put in per week. I think the COVID has had an impact now and people are starting to see actually this job is not just a job. You don't come into teaching knowing it's just going to be nine to five. You know you've got to do that extra bit. But I think, like you said, it's become more contentious post-COVID in terms of what's right and what's wrong now with our profession. But that's why, for me, and, and, and obviously, like, there's, there's pros and cons of this. For me now, you know, I, am a, I, I only really want to do contracts, teaching contracts as a history teacher, where I can just teach the kids and then 
be gone with it. Which is a terrible thing for me to say on Teachers Talk Radio, isn't it? But I just want to teach, and then that's it. But you, you interview. I don't feel like I, I don't feel. I feel there's too much risk now for me to take a permanent contract somewhere because there's too much risk that I will end up wrapped up in something. But I guess that you interview those people that have left the profession. A third of teacher left the last five years. Is that right? And the fact yeah, that yeah. That you, you, you ask why, because teaching's not a nine to five, and you're right what you're saying, actually, I, yeah. come, I should be coming to work at nine, like an office job, leaving at five, and my day's done, because I am, I'm taking emails home, I've got yeah. 141 emails on my phone, I've got to look through, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got to do that tonight, and yeah, I, yeah, yeah. as a leader, I've got to do that, because I'm, uh, you know, 24-7, um, but the fact is... How do you know that the teachers in your organisations, how do you know how they feel? I suppose through the wellbeing surveys, as we just said, there's a massive focus on wellbeing at the moment in terms of uh, the Senior Mental Health Award, etc. I just think it's important that we start taking stock. You know, the amount of people who, you know, you've got some teachers who feel guilty that they've not worked at the weekend, some teachers who, actually, that time is my time, and there's a massive imbalance at the moment in terms of people's thoughts. And as you said, Ash, it's time we kind of think about what's right and what's wrong, because it's, it's getting harder day by day. It goes, Tom, it goes back to culture again, because... People are reticent to fill out wellbeing surveys. People don't necessarily tell the truth on no, the wellbeing true. surveys. So you've got, to, you've got to engender a culture in which people feel that they can talk openly in certain forums, that when they talk openly, they will genuinely be listened to, and that there is a relationship there based on mutual trust and on professionalism, like you said. Um, shifting, and I'm, I'm nearly 50, so I'm not a young leader, but younger leaders perhaps shift in the culture whereby quality is more important than quantity so you don't get a badge of honor because you're there at six and you leave at six because and that culture still exists it's still there in, yeah in many places yeah you know let's position the office above the car park you know yeah that that's so i can see the car but, park but, and but, see who's leaving that stuff still happens it does yeah no, no one's ever going to be believe me and i'm what five six weeks into this new job they won't believe you till the first time something doesn't happen yeah. does that make yeah, sense yeah, 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 um yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's just about that continual culture. Yeah. So I think we have a, a responsibility then as leaders, don't we, to actually demonstrate what we want them to be able Definitely. to do. And yeah. that's so, what I was getting up before when yeah. I said to you, what are you telling the staff to do? Mm. What you said, I totally agree with, yeah. about the staff taking ownership. Mm. But what are you telling them to do or showing them to do for them to know yeah. that they are safe to take ownership? I, yeah. I, I, actually, it's not even, it's about choice. Some yeah. people want to do those hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Definitely, and that's it. Yeah, and, yeah. They, and they should be allowed to do that. If they've no got the be, choice. Like this idea of we're locking the school at this time, you've got to go home, don't check your emails. Well, what I think it's about is working flexibly. That's it, mate. Yeah. That is what yeah. it is for me, and that's why for me now, I want to work flexibly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be... And, and if I want to go for a week where I want to do a shed load more work because I want to do it because I like doing it, great. No one should come to me and say, well, that's bad for your well-being practice that you're doing. But equally, if I want to just leave and get on, fine, you can yeah. do that too. And that's the taking ownership element, Absolutely. isn't it? Yeah, I agree 100% on that. But it is hard. It is hard to crack the code, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I guess. Well, that got deep, didn't it? Thank you. I told you. <laughs> yeah, was, we'll ask you some nice, fun questions. Yeah, so it's good fun questions. Yeah. That's why I was saying it. It was supposed to be like, how's it going? What's the... But, okay, last question to kind of end on a bit of a roundup. No, highlight of the conference or the day. I don't know whether you've done the two days, but highlight of what you've seen or anything that stands out. Uh, for, me, for each person, David will start with so you. So I'll start with it's, it's, it's Owen. Um, 
Owen Eastwood's presentation and, and book, which I'll be diving into about, about that, that story, getting to know, you know, we were talking about culture just then. Yeah. Each member of staff's a person, they're unique, they're an individual, yeah. they have a story, they have a legacy that they're living up to, and that connecting and belonging, that, that, that underpins everything that we try to do as, as a school uh, or as a trust, uh, as an institution. It, it, we're setting things up for the future more than most things. And Bloody hell. David, are you sure you're not Owen Eastwood? <laughs> <laughs> My book's coming out next year. <laughs> I mean, with that waistcoat, you could do a keynote on that stage. Thank you. Um, it's um, gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time out Pleasure. to do a little interview with me. Thank you. Um, and uh, good luck for the rest of the day. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah. Hello, everyone. And once again, we're at the CST Conference 2022, and we are live! Um, and I am joined by two very, very attractive men, actually, who have just been lurking around um, with groups of people swarming around them, asking them what cars they drive. Um, so it's lovely to see. Can you introduce yourselves, gents, just quickly? Yeah, I'm Stuart Collathan, Executive Head Teacher of Learning Together Trust. And I am Mike Rigby, Head of System Leadership at Learning Together Trust. Mike, what is, what is Head of System Leadership? Good question. It is um, a role in our trust where um, we can, uh, I can be parachuted into schools who are lacking a bit of leadership capacity at the time or need further leadership capacity in a school. Um, build relationships with the people in the school. I, I might not know the school particularly well because we've got four schools in our trust. I work yeah. at one, predominantly at one school at the moment. So first thing is build relationships, get a good overview of what's going on, what systems are in place in the school, how they are working, look at standards. We have also within our school, within our trust, we have a head of um, school improvement, who's the lady stood over there. So we can, we will work closer together. She will have a good eye on what's going on and then we'll, that's the good starting point. Yeah, now there's a lot of teachers, Stuart, there's a lot of teachers leaving the profession at the moment and then we've still got chronic problems. Mm. Um, we've got a lot of teachers who either don't want to work in a school or are very capable they just are choosing not to especially now post-covid lots of flexible work opportunities elsewhere yeah so when we talk about school improvement or you know making a school better how do you ensure staff well-being within that process it's knowing it's knowing your staff and valuing your staff but it all comes down to the culture of your school the culture of the trust we we want to be the employer of choice we want our staff to to, to stay in our schools and in our trust and we want to attract uh, the best future staff to our schools and trusts as well so where it, is your where are your schools so, placed so in the country? Th three are in wigan and one is in lancashire well that's my i live in manchester now right right so, so, so four very different schools different contexts different communities different sizes um, but our culture is is massively important to us creating a, a you know a, a culture where children can flourish staff can thrive the was that on the front of your promo booklet that that line <laughs> no no well, maybe, um, maybe, maybe I, was just, could. I was just checking um what about that smile um <laughs> that's on there yeah <laughs> good good um in terms of like a lot of the people I've spoken to have said that, that, that behaviour has been a real problem, like the last, since, particularly since COVID and COVID. So, just wondering, like, a, have you noticed a decline in behaviour standards? B, um, what are you doing to maybe? Uh, I hate to use that phrase that everyone keeps using, but level up and keep behaviour up to a level that you want. That's the wrong phrase to use in that context, but keep get behaviour to a level that mm. you want it to be at. Mm. Yeah, so uh, in, in terms of your first question, um, 
we have noticed it and it is something that is recognised nationally yeah. uh, but in terms of our schools again different context uh, uh, it is different in each school um, in terms of uh, pupil absence children have, have missed a lot of education um, it's about re-establishing system structures uh, and getting the children back into those good learning habits again yeah I mean do you find that let me move on to, to more like personal leadership questions mm. this will be fun so Stuart what is your biggest weakness or fatal flaw it's a really good question because um, mm. the answers you've given me so far have been quite textbook so I want to hear what your so, biggest weakness or fatal flaw is Maybe Mike will tell you what it is. <laughs> I, I did say recently that I really make mistakes, and since then I've been, <laughs> I've made a couple, and I've been told, and those colleagues in the team have said, "I thought you don't make mistakes." <laughs> nice. What would that then be? Would that be not getting ahead of yourself? Would that be the fatal flaw or weakness, like getting well, thinking things? Possibly. Possibly. Uh, just. Having that breadth of thinking. Like I have and then, found it's been an issue when people have bought Mercedes that they've become <laughs> different people, you know. And, and <laughs> I mean, um, so, Mike, in terms of your, because you, you actually, before we move on, I'm going to be fair to Stuart now because I've asked him his fatal flaw. What's your biggest strength? Again, relationships. You can't say driving a Mercedes. No, That's definitely not. not. Uh, relationships, uh, investing in in people. Um, and by that, it's your children first and foremost, fa our families uh, within our communities, yeah. and then our employees in our schools. Got you. And got I, th you. I think for, for Stuart, it, it, he's, he's just got this drive about him where he wants yeah. the very best for staff. And, and where does that come from, children Stuart? And staff. Where does that drive it's come from? Just, just out in our ambition. For, for our children. Yeah, but that, not our ambition. I'm saying yeah. where in you does your drive come from on a personal level? I, Why are you I, driven I, to do I, this? I think it's because I enjoy what I do. I get up, yeah. get up each day and look yeah. forward to, to trying to make a difference. Um, it comes from within. Yeah, yeah. Mike, you've been. have you done the conference for the last two days? Yeah. Have you been out yet? What's been your kind of highlight of the conference so far? Is the one? Um... I liked the talk from the gentleman earlier. Um, I forgot his name, but yeah. I did quite... He was talking about energising people. Um, and as he was going through that, I was, I, there was a lot there that I was looking at and thinking, you know what, our trust does that really, really well. And we are, we are energising those people really, really well. And that's why we have a successful trust. Yeah. So that, I, yeah. Think that, I thought, I, thought I, really, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. What about, I mean, in terms of workload for you two guys... Has that increased over the last two years? Or is it the same? It, is it different? It, it became different over during COVID. It, was, it became it was, more operational yeah. as opposed to strategic. Yeah. The operational side took over because we were yeah. reacting to guidance that was changing by the day, yeah. by the week. Uh, so, so there was increased operational. Uh, reduced, which resulted in reduced uh, strategic, uh, and it's about make, making sure that strategy is our priority. What's on your mind at the moment, then? What's uh, what's kind of dominating your thoughts at the moment? We, we were just saying before we went to a, a workshop um, from the National Institute of Teaching. Oh yeah, what that, was that like? Good. 
good. Seems quite an exciting venture. You know, that what's it, the it, difference between that and say charter college of teaching or similar? It's very similar. Very much mm. around getting the best out of our, our staff um, at different stages of the career. Uh, whether we're looking at teachers that. that accessing ITT, mm. um, our ECTs, making sure that you know that they are flourishing in their early years, um, and then that ensuring staff are accessing uh, the national professional qualifications that are on offer. But is that what's on your mind at the moment? St- staff development is, is staff definitely development. A, a priority. Yeah. Why uh, is that a develop? Why is that? so much on your mind then as opposed to because we want to upskill our staff so that our children are getting the very very best what does upskilling mean though does that mean they become more evidence informed does that mean that they um, i mean what does upskilling mean make making sure that they are expert teachers at what they're doing uh, and this is where our uh, appointment of a, a head of school improvement has been so key uh, to the success of our trust because our head of uh, school improvement is on the ground yeah mentoring coaching supporting in a very developmental way our uh, teachers whether again they be our early career teachers or those vastly experiences who can still develop and flourish further yeah that's an interesting point you made because you know every teacher can improve so you know it's like trying to get the marginal gains isn't it absolutely every absolutely yeah yeah and, and working out how to do that i guess yeah, yeah. within the context so I live in Manchester, I did live in Liverpool before that, and it is like, you know, there are some really challenging mm. challenging areas that, mm. you know, and I think you mentioned Wigan, like another cultural spot, like highlight of the country mm. really there. Um, you know, along with Grimsby and, and Skegness, mm. it's, it's, it's up there, isn't it? Mm. Um, how do you think the levels of deprivation are impacting your ability to do your job? Is there a problem with, I'm gonna pose the question, is there a problem with parental accountability and student accountability in this country? I I think in some of the schools we're certainly seeing the impact of of Covid. Uh, We are currently facing the cost of living crisis. Um, Attendance is an issue nationally. All of these factors are barriers and and of course will impact on, on, on education and standards. So it's about how we can address all of those issues, whether it be uh, supporting families um, with 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 food, uh, supporting families in terms of getting children into school. Um, it's but do you pro- think that the parents and students need to be more accountable, or are you happy with how things are in terms of you know accountable for education, accountable for their behaviours, accountable for in general parents, and parents and students? I, I, again, it, it comes down to partnership uh, and establishing that that really strong school. Uh, and family partnership uh, because you know we are uh, the children's the children are our priority and they are our our purpose uh, so it is about working with our families our parents carers to get the best for the children whether that be standards uh, enrichment experience um, attendance etc guys it's been a pleasure thank you so much for uh taking the time out to be interviewed by me great to talk to you tom thank you cheers and and keep driving that mercedes Stuart. make sure you've uh (laughs) keep on top of it all right oil oil and water cheers guys you've been listening to teachers talk radio tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org we look forward to hearing from you next time on teachers talk radio